Well, thank you, Pastor Ryan. Um, I always feel energized when I hear him speak. Man. Well, it's good to be back with you again. I can't remember when it was either when I was here last time. Uh, We are in the process of, uh, my wife and I, uh, handing off the Ministry of Youth with a Mission in Denver to a a couple that's slightly younger than us. I I was telling the elders earlier how one of the best examples of somebody handing a ministry off was Jack Stiles. Uh, we got married here, as Ryan said, in this church. And uh, it was a few years where, after that where Pastor Stiles handed off this church to Stan, I think it was, right? And then stuck around but wasn't running things, was just kind of part of the, the leadership and doing whatever. And it was such an example of a man of God who didn't kind of hold on to control and so we're doing that. Uh, if we can, I don't know if we're taping this part. If we could just pause the tape, because I want to share uh, something. We're handing our ministry off in Denver. When we went to Denver originally, the Lord showed us, although our heart was for the mission. So my wife and I uh, moved to Colorado in 1984. It was right after the Los Angeles Olympics. How many of you lived in L.A. then? Okay, uh, and we went with a little team of five people. Uh, we had very little money. We didn't know anyone out there in Colorado, but the Lord had told us to go, and we uh, began the ministry uh, and began to grow. We purchased uh, facilities, actually built buildings and uh, began our training center about 25 years into our time. And you may remember I shared a little bit of this last time I was with you. 25 years in, we had a tragedy that took place, something I would not wish on anyone. Um, we had a former student who... Uh, Bert, should I not move around? Should I just stand here? Is that, does that help you? I, w- I was told at a church in Washington recently, don't move around so much, okay? So I can? Okay. Uh, but we had a former student who came, he was backslidden, turned away from God, and he, he, he was angry at God. And there was a situation that had happened, and he came into our facility, and he pulled out a 9 millimeter pistol. He fired uh, 15 rounds, shot four of our staff, and two of them died that night. Tiffany, who was the head of our hospitality, and uh, Phil from Alaska, who was preparing to go to... Uh, to Central Asia. Uh, the next day he went to a church in Colorado Springs and repeated the same thing, shot some people, and a security guard shot him and killed him. How could something like that happen in a Christian ministry? And, and why would God allow it to happen? Uh, as I travel around the world, I find this is the question people have. Uh, who sometimes angry at God, sometimes distant from him. If God was just, is their reasoning, bad things would only happen to bad people. Uh, If God was truly love, as the Bible claims, why is there so much suffering in the world he created? And so, as believers, we need to have answers, right? 
the Apostle Peter tells us to always be ready to give a defense for the hope that's in you. And so it put me on a pathway to document what had happened because there were some amazing miracles that came out of this time. And I, I wrote this book called When the Shooting Stopped. Uh, but really, it's, it's about where is God when we suffer. Um, I brought some copies. If, if you can't afford them, I want to say right now, you can have one, okay? Uh, or whatever you can afford. But if you, you have to promise me, you'll read it. But this is what happened. Uh, as I was writing the story, I felt like the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and say, no, actually, I want you to... I want you to defend my character in, in all the different types of suffering in the world. And so I ended up narrowing it down to 10 sources of suffering. And what does the Bible say about that? Where is God when we suffer? And as a, as a follower of Jesus, it's my conviction that we need to look at life through the lens of Scripture. So there's a lot of Scriptures uh, in this book, and I, I have... Ten categories. I'm going to talk to you about one of them this morning. Okay, it's chapter seven in my book. Uh, one of the sources of suffering because I believe it's relevant to the day in which we're living. So if you're writing down, taking notes, <laughs> uh, the title of the message is The Battle Behind the Battle. I want to suggest to you that the, the reality that the predominantly materialistic world around us believes in is not the ultimate reality. There are other things that are going on. And there is a cosmic war, a cosmic battle that's taking place in the heavenly realm. This is the explanation the Bible puts forth for a lot of the suffering in the world and specifically this, this one category that I want to talk to you about. Uh, that there is a battle going on for the hearts and minds of men, women, and children. It's a battle for cities. It's a battle for nations. And ultimately, it's a battle for the right to rule this world. And so if you have a Bible handy, then uh, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures, but I think uh, they're going to throw them up here as well. The first one is Ephesians 6.12, which tells us, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood enemies, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age. That word age is the word eon in Greek, which is a period of time. There are periods of time when Satan is empowered by the evil acts of human beings. I notice it as an Aussie coming over to this nation, never experiencing Halloween, but at, around Halloween, there is a, a engrandizement of the powers of darkness who are active. And he says, the powers of the darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It's not a physical battle and cannot be won with physical weapons. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, for the weapons of our warfare are not Carnal, the word there is sarkikos, which means earthly or physical. The weapons of our warfare are not physical, right? They're not tangible, which, which this is why the, the materialistic world around us thinks we're crazy because they mainly believe in the things they can touch and see. But, but, but there's another reality, right? And there are battles behind the battle we see. 
including a battle for this nation right now, including what is going on in Afghanistan. I believe people are puppets in the, in the hand of evil forces that are in operation. So I, I want us to look at this through Scripture rather than the news media or what others who are not followers of Jesus believe. Uh, the weapons of our warfare, they're not physical. They're not carnal, but they are just keep that up there. They're powerful in God for pulling down strongholds. The Bible uses this term strongholds. And who in Scripture is the strong man who controls these strongholds? It's Satan is referred to as the strong man. It's one of his names. So I'm a context person. I like, I like, I like to look at the context because sometimes we can get off track if we don't see the context. You know, I've been accused of giving too much context sometimes. Uh, you know, you ask me the time and I give you the history of the watch. Okay, I'll, I'll try not to do that today. Uh, but, but for context, let's, let's piece some things together in Scripture to see how this battle began. And, and so let's go back as far back as we possibly can. First of all, how did the battle began, begin? Well, God created everything. How many believe that everything was created by God, right? So the, the skeptic would say, but, but how can you say God created everything? Because according to biblical chronology, man has only been on the earth for 6,000 years. Clearly the planet is a lot older than that. Well, maybe there's some stuff that went on that God didn't tell us about. You know, he might have left some things out. I mean, he had a, has a hard enough time re getting us to read a book that big. You know, if he told us everything, it would be 500 times that size. No one would read it. And so he left some things out. Or maybe, here's another possibility, maybe God created the planet already old. Do you think he could do that? He could have created it old? I, th I think God does things like that just to confuse people. For example... You know, as, people, as we invent bigger telescopes, God just creates a little more universe. We're, we're only at 90 billion light years across right now. But think of it this way. How old was Adam when, he, when God created him? When, in the prime of life, somewhere in his 50, I mean, uh, 30s, yeah. Uh, how old was Adam? Well, he wasn't a baby, Right? He was a fully grown man in the prime of life. Or think of Jesus' first miracle in Cana of Galilee. He changed the water into wine. And that wine had no time to mature. Uh, but according to the wedding guests, it was the best wine of the evening, right? So, I mean, i got to tell you a joke here really quickly. Is that okay? Can I tell a joke? Okay, so I heard a joke the other day of this, this priest who was driving down the road. And he was kind of weaving a little bit. And so the, the, the state patrolman put on his, his siren and pulled him over to the side of the road. And, and, and he walked up to the, the driver's side window and he said, um, uh, driver's license and register. And then he noticed it was a priest. And, and, he, and then he thought he could smell alcohol. And, and he, he said, Father, have you been drinking? And uh, the priest said, no. Uh, and... And the policeman said, what, what do you have in that container right there? And, and the priest said, it's just water. And, and the officer said, give me, give me the water. And, and he took it, he poured it out, and it was red wine. And he looked at the priest, and the priest said, oh, praise Jesus, he did it again. <laughs> um, 
Well, <laughs> God could have created the planet already old. Okay, so let, let's go to Colossians 1.16 and just keep this scripture up for a while here. Uh, we're told that uh, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and earth. Colossians 1 verse 16. He created everything in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Two categories of God's creation. The things we can see and touch. But there's another whole realm. And then the Apostle Paul goes in to describe the different categories of beings. These are different spiritual beings God created. Different from one another. Because they have different names. Whether thrones or powers uh, or rulers or authorities. All things were created. And here's the point we can't afford to miss. They weren't bad guys to start with. Because they were created through him and for him. They're all around us. We can't see them. Sometimes they take on human form. Sometimes they materialize. There are at least a hundred million angels because we're told in another part that the number of the angels is 10,000 times 10,000. That's a hundred million. We, we each have angels assigned to us to help us, to protect us, to fight alongside of us. We'll get to that. This is the battle that is going on in the heavenly realm. And we are assisting in this battle. We're actually taking the lead in this battle through prayer, through discernment, through other weapons God's given to us. But this is how battles for cities and nations is won or lost, according to the Bible. So God created everything. One of the spiritual beings he created was a beautiful angelic being, an archangel. The word archangel just means a leader angel who was called Shining One. Shining One. He was, he was called Morning Star or we're most familiar with his name in, in Latin, which is Lucifer. Okay? But Shining One is the interpretation of what Lucifer means. He was a leader. He was very beautiful. He was actually described as a as a cherubim or a cherub. And so there are two passages of Scripture that talk about him, but sometimes are, are skipped over because of a case of mistaken identity. One of them is in Ezekiel 28, the other in Isaiah 14. In both of these cases, Bible scholars believe that the, the prophet saw a human being and thought, you know what, this this human being is being controlled by the devil or maybe impersonated by the devil because angels have the ability to take on human form. We've been told we've shown hospitality to angels and we didn't realize it. So they don't, we didn't know they were angels. The guys that showed up at Abraham's tent, remember, one was God. The other two were angels who went down to Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, so the prophet then believed maybe it's Satan impersonating this king or maybe he's possessed by the devil and the prophecy Ezekiel 28 he begins prophesying against the king of Tyre and then very quickly in verse 13 verse, he says wait a minute you were in the garden of Eden well the king of Tyre wasn't in the garden of Eden and he begins to talk about this being who was very beautiful who was a leader who had musical instruments built into his body and who then became violent and proud. And can you put up the scripture, Isaiah 14, verse 14? Isaiah saw the same vision of the king of Babylon, and he realized, wait a minute, this is actually Satan, and this was his big sin. I will be like the Most High. How could this finite created being think 
that he could be like the eternal, uncreated, infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God. How could he think that? Well, pride is a great deceiver. And those who begin to go down the pathway of pride actually begin to believe that they're greater than they really are. I think he thought he could pull it off. And so he launched an attack. Most of the book of Revelation relates to the future and possibly some of it to the present. But some of it, scholars believe, was a flashback to the past. So he wanted to be like the Most High. Revelation 12, verse 7 Okay, he's, he's called the star. And just think of this. What is this talking about? And war broke out in heaven. Okay, this flashback that the Apostle John has of something that had happened in the past. By the way, this was the first Star Wars. Okay, <laughs> I hope God has it recorded. I want to chill back and watch it one day. Okay, war, think about it. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. Here's one of the other disguises that Shining One has. He comes as a prince of the power of the air. He comes as a dragon here in Revelation. He came as a serpent in the Garden of Eden. I think his scariest of all his disguises is that he comes as an angel of light. He pretends to be believable and trustworthy and transparent when Jesus said he's been a murderer from the beginning. So he comes with this disguise as a dragon and he wants to overthrow God's kingdom, but he can't do it. This is not the final battle. The final battle will be Jesus himself defeating Satan once and for all, coming back with the name faithful and true inscribed on his thigh. Okay, but this was one of the other lieutenants, the other archangels called Michael, and Satan, or the dragon, was cast out of heaven to the earth. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus reflecting This, or recalling this event, said, I saw Satan fall from the sky like lightning. Well, uh, his ultimate goal is world domination. That's what he wants to do. He wants to be the king of this world. We know that God is not going to allow that to happen and that the kingdoms of this world one day will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. But the battle is going on right now. Why hasn't God finished it? Probably because, as strangely as it seems, God's strategy is to use us as the church. Okay, we'll get to that. Satan already has his foot in the door because of Adam and Eve's sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, they handed over to him a greater authority on the earth. Why did they sin? It's crazy that they actually would believe the serpent. I mean, God made it easy for Adam and Eve, right? Didn't he stack the deck for them? I mean, he only gave them one bad option. They could eat from any of the trees in the whole Garden of Eden. They ate from the one that broke off their relationship with God. But it also empowered the devil on the earth. It gave him a foot in the door from this original sin that has affected all of us. Last time I shared with you, I talked about the fact that we're dying as a result of this. We do suffer because of the choices of other people, but this is one of the consequences of this. It also empowered the devil on the earth. When Jesus was baptized near the Jordan River, he was taken into the wilderness 
And there was a confrontation that took place. And Satan, using his specialty, which is deception, that's one of his main weapons, he seeks to deceive the whole world. And he was seeking to deceive Jesus. And the way he operates is by mixing truth with lies. He doesn't just tell lies because it's obvious that he's lying. So he mixes it with a degree of truth. And here in Luke chapter 4, he actually uses scripture out of context. But every time he does, Jesus comes back with the Logos, with the Word of God, and says, that is not true, for it is written. Right? You've, written, you've, you've read this? It is written. Every lie, every deceptive statement, Jesus refuted with the truth. No, that's not true, for it is written. In the middle of this, look at Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Satan takes him on a high mountain, and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he says, all this I'll give to you and their glory. He says, if you'll worship me. And and then he makes this statement. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. And you're waiting for Jesus to say, this does not belong to you. But you know what? Jesus does not refute that statement. Wow. Who gave this to him? God didn't. We did. We handed him a greater authority because of sin. Now, let's be clear. God is sovereign. God is everywhere at once. He's all-powerful. He knows everything. I I don't want to ruin it for you, but I flipped to the end of the Bible, and we win. (laughs) But... There is a battle going on right now, and it's a battle for human beings. It's a battle for cities. It's a battle for nations, and ultimately, a battle for the right to rule this planet. 1 John 4.4 tells us, though, that greater is the one in us than the one who's in the world. So how does Satan get his power? Well, he gets his power on a regional level through battles won or lost. By the church. Sometimes when there are sins that are committed, it gives him a greater power. There is a wounded spirit in my nation of Australia that's come out through an aggressiveness and an independence and a competitive spirit. Why? Where did that come from? It came from our rejection as a nation because prisoners were sent to Australia and sometimes on Sundays then chained to the pews to listen to a preacher speak the gospel and there's a bitterness against authority and against God that's affected our whole nation with woundedness. I see it in other cultures too. I've been many times to Africa, three times to the nation of Sierra Leone before the blood diamonds and Charles Taylor who came in from from neighboring Liberia and the child soldiers and then right after with all the atrocities that had been committed. And then another time after that. And you could feel the presence of the enemy because of these inhumane, inhumane acts committed against people. Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung commented, commented after World War II. Uh, during World War II, he said, a god has taken possession of the Germans talking about the Nazi regime and empowering the enemy to operate. These things really happen in places. Satan mobilizes his forces according to geography and demography, according to 
a map of the world and groups of people. He operates that way. That's his strategy. Now, you might say, but, okay, Peter, where do you find that in Scripture? Everyone say, where do you find that in Scripture? Go ahead. Well, okay, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. Okay, just, just let me get there. Okay, Mark 5, verse 10. Now, in Mark 5, Jesus sails to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he gets out, and a man comes down from the burial tombs in Gadara, and Jesus says, what's your name? And he says, Legion, for we are many. And then the demons speak through the man, and the very next thing, they begged Jesus, please, don't send us out of, it says country here, the the word there is Korah, which means geographical area or land. Don't send us out of this territory. Why? Why were they reticent to be sent to a new location? Maybe, may I suggest to you, the people of the Gennesarenes who lost the pigs later on probably had been involved in evil acts that empowered the enemy and gave sort of a beachhead, a place where the enemy was able to operate freely. If you've traveled, you will sense that. Even going just to Las Vegas, if, you, if you're a sensitive person, you can feel an oppressive demonic spirit. I felt loneliness in Tokyo, lust in Amsterdam, materialism when I've been away from the U.S. and I've come back. In my nation of Australia, just a spirit of rejection. Okay, you can sense this in places where things have taken place and the enemy then has been empowered. He's become strong. That's why he's called the strong man. Jesus said to the disciples, you can't go into his house. And and I didn't put the scripture up, but Matthew 12, 29. You can't go into a strong man's house. See see the, the physical, geographical inference? You can't go into his house and release his captives unless you first bind the strong man. This is a reality in missions. It's a reality, I believe, in what is taking place in nations of the world like Afghanistan, I believe right now there is a battle front and center for this nation because this nation is a leader. And when a leader falls, think of a spiritual leader or any type of a leader who falls, it affects not only their family but other people who've looked up to them. And that's what's at stake right now. (laughs) Okay. But God has a strategy to win this battle. Praise God. Well, what's his strategy? Well, it's a strange strategy. Let me just tell you. It's to use you guys. Look around the room. God, what were you thinking? (laughs) Look up here. It's to use the church to win this battle. Why not angels? Angels are more powerful than us. We were made lower than the angels. Why not angels? Well, I don't know why. You can ask God when you see him one day why this is his strategy. But all I know is, as I read through the scriptures, I see this is his strategy. He tells us to go into all the world. He tells us to pray. Angels are assisting us, but we're the ones taking the lead. In his book, Angels, God's Secret Agents, Billy Graham talks about all these amazing encounters with angelic beings. And one of the stories is of this pastor in the New Hebrides, which is now called Vanuatu. And this, this pastor, his name was Patton, Pastor John Patton. And his wife went to Vanuatu as missionaries 
the natives didn't like them sharing the gospel and coming against their native religions. And so one day, the chief and his main warriors surrounded the missionaries' house, intent on burning it down with torches. And John Patton and his wife prayed. They prayed through midnight, two in the morning. They kept looking out. They never came close to burn the house down. At daylight, the warriors left. About a year later, Remembering this event, Pastor Patton led the chief to Christ. And and he asked him this question. What kept you from burning our house down? And the chief said, well, who were those men you had with you there? No, no, there were no men. It was just my wife and me praying. No, no, there were large men with drawn swords standing around the whole perimeter of your house. And we couldn't get close. Wow, they were angels. Okay, this is the reality. But they're assisting us. To protect us, to minister to us. The word deacon comes from the word diakono, which is one of the words for angelic beings that minister to us. They protect us and they fight alongside of us, but we're the ones who are taking the lead. The scriptures are very clear in Romans 16, 20, that God wants to crush Satan under your feet, under my feet. So how's he going to do that? Okay, well. Here are some of our weapons. I want to just, for the sake of time, I want to give you just three of them, okay? One of them is called discernment. Oh, man, I want this gift. Because discernment is like spiritual night vision goggles, okay? Where you actually see what is really going on. You see things as they really are, not as they appear. Most people are looking at the natural, but they don't see what is really going on. The prophets in the Old Testament had this gift. All of them. In fact... They used to be called, a prophet in the Old Testament was called what originally? A seer. See? Someone who can see. So I threw up a couple of scriptures here. 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. The prophet's servant, Elisha's servant, Gehazi, comes in freaking out because the enemy's army is coming. And and Elisha says, don't worry. And, And then he doesn't tell him what's going on. But he says, Lord, open the eyes of the boy. And it says, scales fell from his eyes. And he can see into the spiritual realm. And look, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. Wow, that's that ability to see. It must be linked with prayer. Okay, this ability to see in Ephesians 6.18 is called being watchful, spiritually looking at what is going on and not being deflected by the natural, but being watchful. Another gift is prayer. Discernment is to be coupled with prayer, with unified, persistent prayer. I don't know about you, but I believe prayer changes things. Someone said, well, it changes you. Well, yes, it changes me, but it also changes outcomes. Okay? Where if I don't pray, this is going to happen. But if I pray, something else happens. Prayer is powerful. Luke 18.1, Jesus said, guys, men need to learn this lesson. Usually because women, I'm going to say it softly, women are more spiritual than us. Okay? But the lesson we need to learn is because we want action. We need to, prayers are not answered right away. We need to not lose heart, Jesus said. Okay, pray, but don't give up. Don't lose heart because even though your prayers are aiding the host of heaven in this battle, the answer doesn't come right away. Here's an example, Daniel 10, 12 through 13. 
Daniel recognized the signs of the times in which he was living in, that the prophetic word through the prophets, through the seers, was they would be captive in Babylon 70 years. This took place about 68 to 69 years, okay, into their captivity. And he begins to pray. And he prays for a week and nothing. And two weeks, nothing. 17, 18 days, nothing. Well, stuff was happening. He just couldn't see it. On the 21st day, Gabriel arrives on the scene, out of breath, with a little angel blood on his forehead. I might have made that part up. Okay, but he said this. This is what he said. Daniel, from the first day you started praying, God heard you and he sent me. Now, wouldn't you think God sends an archangel, the battle's over right away. It wasn't. It still took three weeks because one of these principalities called the Prince of Persia withstood him. And Michael had to come and they defeated the Prince of Persia. And then they went on to a different battle. Prayer is not answered right away. But don't give up. Don't lose heart. Okay, this is a powerful weapon. I want to tell you, Osborne, okay, pray. Keep on praying. Joy Dawson, who has been a member of this church for many, many years, would always say, faith is praying until dot, dot, dot. Okay? (laughs) Faith is praying until. Until it happens. You keep on praying. You might not see it right away. The last one is repentance. And I want to close with this. Well, we need to repent as a nation. But how do you get a whole nation to repent? Well, you don't. You just have to get the church to repent. 2 Chronicles 7.14, he says, If my people do this, then I will heal their land. And, and, and look, look at the preceding verse where he says, If my people, they were in a drought and in the midst of a plague. That was the context in which God said, but if my people will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. Wow, how powerful is that? So, you can't repent for somebody else. You can only repent for your own words and actions and thoughts. But there's something about identifying with the sins of our people group that's powerful. I, I see in Scripture that Daniel did this. Uh, Nehemiah did it. He, he confessed his own sins and the sins of the people. In Daniel 9.20, did I give you that scripture? He, he confessed his own sin and the sins of his forefathers. Okay? And, and something took place when he identified with the sins of his people. So I was on a YWAM outreach years ago in Argentina in the city of Córdoba. 300 of us had gathered in Córdoba, Argentina to preach the gospel, and nobody wanted to listen to us. Who are you foreigners coming to tell us what we should believe? The Argentine people are a very proud people. They didn't want to listen to us. And so the Lord gave us a strategy. Tomorrow morning, all 300 of you go down to the middle of town in downtown Córdoba. Get on your knees. Confess your sins and the sins of pride and prejudice of the Argentine people. And when we did it, I wish someone had videotaped it. Hundreds of people were coming to listen to us, were coming, giving their lives to Christ. It was unbelievable. It was so powerful. So so that leads me to to this, okay? Uh, I'm I'm sitting here, and I I wonder if the worship team, if you could come up again. And I asked if they would sing that song, I Need Thee, Lord, I Need Thee. And could we pray it? on behalf 
of the city and the nation that we're in. Your nation, for most of you, my adopted, your birth nation, my adopted nation. But as I'm sitting here, I'm looking up at the flag. And I'm looking up at the cross. And I'm looking at Jennifer on her knees here. <laughs> and, and I wonder if we could, as Daniel was leading this, if we could, uh, if you're able to kneel. And let's, let's sing it for ourselves, but also vicariously on behalf of of this nation that we're a part of and this city of Los Angeles. God, God, would you intervene? We don't, we don't need you, we, but we, we need you desperately. We can't do this on our own. Let's make this our prayer today.